Guardian Unlimited. Guardian Unlimited. The Rugby World Cup Show. Sponsored by Magnus. Time to play. Go to magnuscider.com. Well, hello once again. This is Ian Payne in the Guardian studio in London. We're almost there. We're at the penultimate weekend. We're at semi-final stage. There's four countries left, and who would have predicted these four countries? Certainly none of the experts from the Guardian or the Observer or myself at the beginning of these podcasts. It's been an amazing World Cup, and it was an extraordinary last weekend. What will this weekend bring? England in the semi-finals. Who'd have believed that three weeks ago? Will the host France match England's impressive pack? Can England pull out another great performance? And then on Sunday, also 8 o'clock, Stade de France, newly crowned favourites, South Africa meet Argentina. Will the Pumas create yet another shock? We'll be talking about it all with our guests. And you can get in touch with us, and you do that by going to the following address, blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. We have an illustrious panel. We have so many people to try and fit in. I won't be saying very much today. I'm Ian Payne. Here in the studio in London, I have Ian Pryor, who's the deputy sports editor of The Guardian, and Andy Bull, who's a rugby writer for The Guardian Unlimited. In Paris, we have the rugby correspondent of The Guardian, no less, Rob Kitson. And I'm delighted to say, first other non-Guardian guest is the former England front rower, Victor Uboga, who joins us from somewhere in Paris. Where are you, Victor? I uh, am in a taxi in Paris, just trying to find where to pick up my personal tickets that I bought. I thought the pickup was going to be at um, Stade de France. However, I've just been sent back to where I started from, which is uh, just by the Louvre, opposite my hotel. What's it like in Paris at the moment? Is it is it full of people wandering around trying to find tickets, or is it full of New Zealanders and Australians going, what on earth are we doing here? Well, I've only, I've, only, I've only just arrived this afternoon, so um, I haven't really had the chance to wander around. I've, I haven't seen any New Zealanders, that's for sure. But um, I'm sure they'll be around tomorrow evening. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Rob Kitson, you're in Paris as well. What's the atmosphere like and, uh, and what are people saying and, and talking about before these World Cup semi-finals? Well, well I've, I've just um, come back from the Stade de France as well, actually. I went by the Metro, uh, Victor, which might have been the, might have been the answer. But uh, the, uh, what I can tell you is that they're selling the New Zealand jerseys for half price in the shop up at the Stade de France. So I think that tells us something. And, 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 and they're giving it away? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's next week. <laughs> is, it the black, is it the black one or the grey one? Oh, I don't think the, the grey one's been ceremonially burnt now, isn't it? I, I, don't, I, don't, think, uh... I don't think they'll ever wear that, uh, that grey one again. Before we talk about the semi-finals coming out, have we, Ian Pryor, have we got over the shock of last weekend yet? I must admit, I, I still wake up every morning and think, what? I see pictures of them flying home. The New Zealanders are already back down under. I can't believe it. Yeah, um, the short answer is no, really. Um, it's so tragic to think of all those New Zealanders and Australians who, who paid for their plane tickets just to come for the semi-finals and final who are probably now wandering somewhere around the Champs-Élysées with a slightly bemused air on their face. You know, it must be a real tragedy for them. Yeah. Andy Bull, when all said and done, we have, and you have written things on the Guardian Unlimited website that have been quite critical of England and Northern Hemisphere rugby as a whole. Just because of two results, do we change our entire opinion? Yeah, I think it's time for a complete reversal of everything we thought. Uh, England is obviously a wonderful rugby culture and country, and we're doing everything right. But was that just a one-off performance, or have we just got it wrong? This busy, you know, back to basics, the Heineken Cup's wrong, the Guinness Premiership wrong, the Magnus League is wrong. The, you know, suddenly everything's great. Let's not forget the ones who weren't there. Let's not forget Wales. Let's not forget Ireland, who are, you know, in, indubitably the kind of the, fa- the failure stories of this World Cup. Um, 
the, the truth is, no, they're, they're not right. But you know what? For one game, they can get it right. Um, this is Andy's column about English journalists apologising for writing England off. Uh, these are things that some of the journalists said. The chariot is destined for the scrapyard, said Mick Cleary in The Telegraph. David Hands, a very experienced rugby journalist in The Times, said, not a point, this is about the South African game, not a point, not a shot at goal, nothing save the final destruction of an honest but limited team whose time has now run out. Stuart Barnes, no less, of Sky and the Sunday Times, said, England, who will mercifully soon be stripped of a world champion's tag, they have held in nothing but name for four long years, and I leave... The best till last, just like the wine. Eddie Butler in The Observer. It is time for sweeping changes. And if that means importing a coach from beyond England, then so be it. The first thing will be to find a new coach, someone who won't surrender or compromise. I hear Graham Henry's free. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's saying he's still in a job. Rob Kitson, we did overreact, didn't we? Do you think there will be any kind of repercussions after this? Or the fact that England have already beaten Australia will save English rugby in its present form for years to come. Well, I'm just hoping you didn't. Uh, re- <laughs> I'm glad you didn't, didn't read out yours. some of mine. No, very, very good. And I think, I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you take the first point, first overreaction. I, I, if you lose 36 nil in the big game of the World Cup in the pool stages, I don't think it was an overreaction. England were appalling. There's no, there's no hiding that. The fact that they beat Australia uh, last time in, in the quarterfinal is, is, is magnificent. It's a fantastic turnaround, but that doesn't mean to say that they were, you know, everybody got it wrong uh, three or four weeks ago. Now, in t- you know, in terms of what happens next, I, 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 don't think, I don't think anybody quite knows. I, I don't think there's any doubt at all that had England uh, gone down in, in flames to Australia, there would have been uh, big, significant, and, and, and many, many changes. Um, it, it has changed an awful lot of things, the perceptions, if nothing else, um, Brian Ashton, it's, it is amazing what can you won 80 minutes of rugby and all of a sudden you're a genius. Now, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't work like that. Uh, but that is one of the uh, the elements of sport. When you go into coaching, you know it's going to be a, pre- a precarious, high wire existence. Uh, and, and if you manage to get to the other side, then, then, you know, good luck to everybody. Victor, after a, a performance like that, a lot of people um, concentrate on one specific area and they say this is where England won the match. And one specific area seems to be in the front row and most specifically with Andrew Sheridan. From a front row forwards perspective and being an expert on that particular area, can you tell us exactly what England did to Australia and can they repeat that against France? I mean, England, England, England were very you know, dominant in the uh, in in the pack, and you know, I, I guess sort of watching Australia, that was one area of weakness that we knew could be exploited, and you know, we've always had the, the personnel to perform in the pack. You know, I, I, I guess I guess they saw it as sort of a, their last chance and and only way out. I mean, that was the major advantage we had over them. But what did what did Andrew Sheridan do to his opposite number to make England so dominant in so many other areas? I think it was the eight. You know, it was, it was the whole you know, the pack function, functions as, you know, as an eight, not just Andrew Sheridan. They pulled in together, and that, that was where the dominance came from. It was such an amazing turnaround, wasn't it? Andy Bull, I'll leave your comments to last. This is what you wrote on The Guardian Limited. Um, you can probably recite it. I wrote last week, you said, that England couldn't get any worse, and I meant it. That South Africa game was an insight into just how poor this side are and how little we should expect of them. They forfeited their rights to make us believe that they are worth being passionate about. Are they worth being passionate about now? Uh, you know, I'm going to be embarrassed to say it, but yeah, of course they are. I mean, that 
the game on Saturday, although it wasn't that much of a great game, was it? It was so enthralling. I mean, I think the whole nation was on tenterhooks. Where did that perform? There was no indication at all. I suppose those must-win games, they were knockout games in the end, weren't they? Samoa and Tonga. That must have had something to do with it. Where did that performance come from, from England? Because they were unrecognisable from the side that had had lost to to South Africa and had lost, I think it was 13 out of 14 away fixtures since the World Cup. For for me, it was last chance saloon time. It really was. You know, um, Martin Corrie said it. He was sitting on the bus next door to Ben Kay. And they looked at each other and said, "Listen, we're not going to play for England again if we don't uh, if we don't play tonight." You know, and they get to the ground, and all of a sudden you look around, and they they know they're good players individually, and we've gone through the endless reasons why they haven't sort of knitted together as a as a as a team. They haven't had a lot of time. We all know that. But I think they looked at each other and recognised that there really was this was the end of the you know the end of the road unless they unless they got it right. And I think that that galvanised them into some sort of performance. I mean, it's quite interesting to listen to Mike Cat this week, and everybody said, "Oh well, you know, you played that much more." attacking rugby in the first half hour that really, um, as well as the scrummage that uh, sort of rocked Australia back. And he said, well, yes, but that wasn't actually the game plan. You know, we, we were supposed to kick it uh, quite, quite a lot. <laughs> oh. And uh, but, but myself and Johnny looked up and we saw three people waiting for every ball and thought, well, you know, that's, ridic- that's ridiculous. We can't do that. So they, uh, you know, they ran it a bit more, kept it in hand. And, and I think the, the Wallabies, as a result, were run around a little bit more and, and were taken aback. And, and from there, we know what happened. Absolutely. There's and another slightly crabbier view in this, too. That the England's two biggest performances of the last, say, two years have both been against Australia, against a pack that is quite frankly lightweight, that is going backwards at a rate of knots every time. Um, it's particularly true of Andrew, Andrew Sheridan, who's, who only ever seems to shine against Australia. Um, so, are you, so are you saying that actually this, this is a false dawn? I, th- I think in many respects. They, for, for the forward dominance last weekend, England should have won that game by 15, 20 points. They didn't. They, 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 it still went down to the last kick of the game, which Mortlock had to miss. And still, with the ball in hand, they don't look like they, they know a great deal about what they're doing. The I didn't think the backline ticked well, well at all. I mean, d- d- despite that effort to, to keep it in hand a bit more, to, to spread the li- play a little bit, they still haven't managed to score a try, and they're going to need to. On but but tactically, Saturday. wasn't it completely different to how we've seen England perform in the last few years? The the, the quick dropouts, the, sw- the flinging it wide. I mean, isn't that the kind of rugby that Brian Ashton was supposedly renowned for beforehand? And we were all going, well, why aren't they playing this rugby? And suddenly they were. Well, I think Victor should should know. You know, he's, he's been at, was at Bath the, in his years, but he, he would know that the Brian's are... You know, a heads up um, type of heads up rugby is what he calls it. You know, people reacting to what they see, and and, and there is a, there are more signs of England doing that. And you know, it's heaven's sake, it's overdue, isn't it? But uh, as you as you rightly say, that they'll need that against France. They'll need that little bit of something different that's that's going to take France back. France are one of the best defensive sides around. You really, you know, it's a, that's a heck of a defence they've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, marshalled by a, a Yorkshireman, Dave Ellis. But it, it, it's very good indeed. And as, as Ian Pryor's very right, uh, you, you, need, you need to have a different, um, just do something different. Yeah, what about the French, Andy? What have you made of France? Because they've been a bit enigmatic themselves, haven't they? They've been a bit Michelac-esque. Yeah, that's what people always say, isn't it? But then in that game against New Zealand, what impressed me most was their defence in the final five minutes. I mean, for them not to concede the penalty in that situation was just staggering. And New Zealand were clearly driving and driving and driving again, waiting for those three points to come. And they didn't. And uh, I think that's really the product of so much of what Laporte's put into that team over the last seven years. It's really something he's taken a lot of flack for, making them more pragmatic and less fun to watch. But I think actually in this World Cup, you're seeing it start to pay off in a big way. Well, I I suppose that's because they're managed defensively by an Englishman. (laughs) (laughs) Just as you were saying, Rob. Yeah. But how do we, how do we, how does England beat France? I mean, I I would have thought that if it's not going to be an open game and France aren't prepared to sling it around, that might suit England, mightn't it? If, I, mean, I think if you're, if you're asking me, I, I think 
uh, yeah, we know. It's, I think we know it's going to be tight. It's a semi-final. You know, it's, this is England at their best. They love. They love this sort of situation as uh, as they proved last time around in Australia. I think there's no doubt at all that France will be thinking about that. They'll be thinking, well, hang on a second. They'll, they'll be more nervous coming into this game uh, than England were. You remember what happened in the first match of the tournament, France, Argentina. Huge amount of expectation on France to do the business at the Stade de France. They didn't do it. Didn't do it, not in the slightest. And there, there has to be that suspicion that it, despite the All Blacks, when they, like England, were, were you know, it, it really was last chance time. I, I'm just not quite sure. I think mentally England might have a little bit of an edge, which helps. I think Johnny, uh, despite all the fuss about the, the uh, pressure of the balls, I think, um, I think you know, he's, he's a, a more reliable goal kicker than the French have got. And, and I think England have got a bit more confidence. You know, I think their back row performed outstandingly. You know, if they, it's, the breakdown is so crucial. They did really well against Australia in that area. Uh, France got a great back row. If, if England can compete at the breakdown, if they can uh, get a bit more of that scrum dominance they've had and, and uh, kick a bit better, you, you know, anything's possible. England are not going to dominate the, uh, the French in the pack as, as well as they did against Australia. The French pack are quite formidable themselves. And um, we can match them and stand toe-to-toe in the pack. We need, we need our back line to turn up, put in a performance. Victor, you, you, so you know Brian Ashton as well as anyone in your bath days. What are the hallmarks of Brian Ashton's teams? <laughs> I played in the front row. I saw Brian occasionally. <laughs> I did not train with him. <laughs> you must have seen him in training a couple of times. Yeah, I saw him in training, and uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't comment on his skills from a personal experience point of view. Right. But um, the rest of the guys, you know, the rest of the back line, your Barnes's, your Field of Glanville's, your Jerry's, who actually um, he, he, he coached. You know, hold him, hold him in very high regard in terms of his um, back play. Let's talk then a little bit about this balls controversy because I, I must admit, personally, I find this incredible. I mean, the, the fact is um, that Andy, they've got these match balls, but they're not allowed to practice with them apart from twenty minutes or something, and they're only allowed two. So both of England's kickers have twenty minutes to practice with the match ball rather than the different pressure ball. For practicing, what could, is going could I, on? Could I just could I just butt in from yeah. um, from from the? I've just been at the Johnny Wilkinson new, um, uh, press conference today when he did, well, he'd just been practicing kicking and he was allowed to use all six balls. Oh, he um, was. He was today finally, which uh, you know pleased him as you can imagine. That's even more balls. Well, why has it taken <laughs> till now? Well, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, surprised, I'm surprised that was the case. I mean, I would have, I would have thought that in previous years we knew exactly which balls we're going to be playing with. And we knew the pressure, the pressure that the ball was going to be at, and that was what we trained at. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm really shocked that um, you know the coaches allowed allowed the situation like that bet, to, uh, bet to arise. The, bet the French are allowed them. I'm sure they were. Rob, <laughs> yeah. well, so what did he say? <laughs> well, I mean, in all these, it, I mean, Johnny, uh, as you can imagine, he 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 doesn't um, use you know two words where 35. Uh, will do, um, but he was the basic nub of it was that I think he's a bit happier now. Um, I, th- I think he thinks well. You know, in his in his eyes, a couple of balls have mis- mis- behaved mysteriously. Some have, have missed that he thought were going over, and vice versa. Now, for somebody like Johnny, who is a perfectionist, you know that that sort of state of affairs is 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 the worst possible thing that can happen. You know, it's a it's like a golfer. You know, you hit that you hit you think you've hit one absolutely down the middle, and all of a sudden it veers you know 
right into the into the rough. So he, he's, um, I think he's a little bit happier because he has had a chance to practice with the Bulls. I don't think there's any chance of them, them not being to the right pressure at the weekend. Um, but they, on the other hand, you've got to look at the, the statistics and, and look at Scotland. And um, Chris Patterson didn't make, miss a kick in the. He's got a hundred percent record in the whole tournament, and presumably they they've been using the same same ball. So it doesn't quite stack up to me. Okay. Um, quick, let's get a, a quick prediction on this game. We'll come back to this game before the end of the podcast because uh, we're going to be joined by uh, the rugby correspondent of the official French broadcasters. Uh, Laurent Dupre will be joining us later on. Um, Victor, I know, has got to <laughs> rush off and get his tickets. So before he goes, let's just get a quick prediction on uh, this game. Victor, who's going to win, England or France? If the backs, if England backs turn up, England will win. OK. Um, Ian? It's a low-scoring game. If you're buying a point spread, do it below 35. Maybe France by uh, 7 to 10. Andy? Yeah, I'll go France by 5 or 6. And Rob? Well, I just think um, Sol's law applies at, at, at these times. I, I think England, as I say, have a little mental edge. I've got England by one point. OK. We'll get the French view, as I say, in just a second. Victor, thanks for joining us. Good luck in the uh, search for your tickets, mate. Pleasure. Hope you find them. That's the plan. Take okay. care. Cheers, mate. Bye. Victor Abogo, who doesn't know how his old coach, Brian Ashton, used to coach because he was in the front row, so he never you saw him. He only ever get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more from the French point of view in just a second, but before um, we do all that, uh, let's just uh, pick up uh, some of the uh, blogs and some of the points that are being made and talk about the second semi-final, also in Paris, Stade de France, on uh, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, Argentina against South Africa. Uh, the uh, blog address, by the way, you've only got another week or so to uh, get in touch with. The blog address is, as always, blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. Uh, Albie One from Guildford says, The level of our self-flagellating criticism and introspection may have been over the top after the South Africa game. This is about England, of course. But please let us not forget how really, truly, humiliatingly awful we were that night. The fact that 55% of New Zealanders surveyed in one poll thought the referee was to blame for their defeat suggests a rather telling lack of introspection in the land of the long white cloud. Uh, Kingsgate says there's a problem with sports journalism in general. Boys, boys, boys. It's the media's fault. Every game must be explicable and indicative of a trend. So after the fact that journos attempt to explain New Zealand's disaster as foreseeable due to easy group matches and England's here as, quote, confidence becoming genuine self-belief, ask any members of that England camp, professional sportsmen, not journalists, and they will tell you self-belief never flickered. Uh, Some jokes. That's rubbish, isn't it? That's complete rubbish. You get bid 36-0 by Southern Africa and your self-belief doesn't take a little tiny battering. Oh, it's you now, is it? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's yeah. speak to another strong man. Steve Thompson, hooker when England won the World Cup in 2003. Welcome back to the uh, podcast, Steve. You, uh, you never had any doubts that England would get through to the semi-final, did you? <laughs> I must, I'm, I'm, oh, don't even talk to me about it. I must admit, I was one of the doubters uh, and I feel quite bad for it now, really, if I'm honest. Well, you don't feel uh, but bad. I'm big enough. I'm big enough to say that you know I was completely wrong, and uh, um, fair play to him. I really didn't think they had that performance in them um, from, from one to twenty-two to be able to put it out on the day. And fair play to him. They, you know, on the, on the day they pulled it all, you know, they all pulled it out. Listen, yeah. um, I asked uh, Victor Abogu this. He was on the program just a little bit earlier about yeah. why technically the front row of England did so much damage to the front row of Australia. Can you explain to us what happened? Um, in technical terms, the Australians are absolute rubbish. And <laughs> <laughs> How much are we paying you know, for that, Sif? And just the English front row, you know, every week they're into into bigger front rows. Technically, they're better. 
you know, Phil Keith Roach has had a great deal to do with that front row of the England in the past. I mean, he's a great technician. But, but, but why uh, over that... in Australia, the, the scrummage isn't a massive emphasis, and you can see that. They sort of, it's just a way of restarting the game quickly, whereas the English and the Northern Hemisphere as such see it as a great weapon to actually wear teams down and, and see it as a, as a great part of the game, and you can really see the difference. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there weren't that many scrums, certainly not in the first half, were there? Why was it so, so important a part of the game, do you think, that, that, that gave England the edge? I think psychologically, um, because when you actually see, you know, there's nothing worse than having your head put up your backside by your opposite number, especially up front. And they just seem bigger and powerful, especially in the scrum. If you can get on top uh, and you're getting pushed around, you can't get great ball from it. And then suddenly questions are asked around the, the, around the park. And someone like Andrew Sheridan, he grows on that. His two best games have been against Australia when he destroyed their scrum and suddenly he's carrying the ball and the momentum goes to England. And the players really step up, and, and that's what they're there for. You know, if Johnny Wilkinson's kicking 100%, his game overall becomes better. If he's missing goals, it's not as good. And, and tell us how you think England will get on technically in the front row and elsewhere against France. I think we've got the upper hand. Yeah? I really do. I think we've got the upper hand there. You know, the French scrummage isn't as strong as it has been in the past. We've seen New Zealand cause them a bit of problem, and I think now, that, especially after the two warm-up games, I think England are going to be up for it. I think so too. While you're here, Steve, I want to just want to get your view then on the other game, which yeah. everyone says is going to be a huge forward battle. Are the Argentinians strong enough in the pack, both in the tight and the loose, to deal with South Africa? I think it's the other way around, really. I think really? Are, are the South Africans strong enough for the Argentinians? It's their game, uh, is the forward player. And I feel if the South Africans can match them, they can really do some damage with the backs. And it's going to be interesting because a couple of times Argentina have opened up and played some great rugby, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we mustn't be doing this. And then all of a sudden they start kicking it again. And I think it's going to be fascinating in the weekend that perhaps, you know, if Argentina go behind and they have to come out and score some tries and score some points, we might actually see a great Argentinian performance that, you know, will bring it out and they'll play some fantastic rugby. Mm. What do you think, Andy? Are, they, uh, are Argentina the 10-man rugby specialist to you, or is there more to no, it? No, no, like Steve said, they've scored some cracking tries at various points through the tournament. So when they want to do it, they can. They've got a couple of great wingers that are both, you know, proper finishers. I actually would make them slight favourites myself for would that you? match. I really would. Why? Yeah. I just think the way they've played throughout this cup has been so, so impressive. The slight exception being that Scotland, Scotland game, game when the pressure perhaps slightly got to them. But if they can deal with that pressure of being at this stage for the first time, I think, you know, we'll see them in the final. Ian, how do you think South Africa will play it? I think South Africa will be confident enough to match Argentina at their own game. I mean, what South Africa are renowned for is that, that, that brute, aggressive forward play and do- dominating an opposition pack and being very aggressive at the breakdown. Now, they know Argentina are good at this, but well, it, it, may, it may even be the seeds of their downfall that they, they'll still think, regardless, we can do that better. We can beat them at their own game. We can play exactly the type of rugby Argentina's been playing all this tournament and still do it better. I think that's how they'll approach it. You know, Do the kind of job England did in Australia last week, then release Abana to do the rest. Uh, Rob, what's your take on that semi-final? Well, well a, a week ago, I'd have said South Africa, uh, absolutely no problem, actually, because I... <laughs> I, 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 I for a start, tip South Africa to win this tournament uh, from the beginning. So I've got to, I've got to back them for, for uh, to an extent. Now, and well, the second thing is, but did you see? I mean, you would have seen the Fijian game against uh, South Africa. Now, for ten minutes, South Africa were absolutely rocking. They had their best side out. Fiji would hand fourteen men, and 
they were they were fantastic. They were they really were. It was one of the, the real stirring moments of the World Cup. Now, I think to their credit, South Africa hung on. They, they regrouped and came through that. And I, I I've thought for a long time, Jake White. You know, they've been planning for this World Cup for a long, long time, and they've 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 got a lot of things right. And I think still that they'll they'll win. But I, I I'm a lot less confident than I was uh, ten days ago. Steve, what about tactically? If if one team needs to change things, which team do you think has got the best head on it? Um, well, looking at it so far, I think France had a great game plan against New Zealand. I know they made a lot more tackles, but instead of playing a lot of rugby in their own half, which teams do, they're frightened about kicking it to New Zealand. They um, they actually kicked it to them and he said, come on then, have a go at us, but we're not going to let you in our half and, and turn us over and get points. So they show for, you know, for the first time they've got great head, but England, for once, they played some great rugby, the best rugby they've played in a couple of years, I'd say in that game. I know everyone's talking it up, but it's, it's true. They really went for it. The pressure was on and, and they came out of it. But so. how, how, how did they change everything so quickly in one game, almost? Sometimes it just happens. It builds, you know. Everyone's, everyone wrote them off beforehand and I, I said, the only thing about it is it's like club side for once. They're actually together. They spend a lot of time and you'll see a totally different team to what you see in the Six Nations when they have one week preparation beforehand. Some get, sometimes halfway through the Six Nations they have to go back to the clubs. So it's a bit a bit hard like that, whereas this time they've actually been together, they live together, and it's more like a club team and you can really learn and work together. And I think now it's really starting to pay off. Yeah, I think so. And I don't know what Steve thinks. I mean, the other thing to add is they had, they had Mike Cat back now. Mike Cat played against South Africa, uh, but he was fly half that night, if you remember. Johnny Wilkinson yeah. wasn't, wasn't playing. Um, you know, it, it was, it was a, you know, a complete injury mess, wasn't it, with Andy Farrell and all shoehorned in there. This time, Cat was back at 12, Wilkinson at 10, and Cat um, was, was there to... To, to change things when they needed changing, and I, I, I thought he had a big impact. He's the one that won the well, not completely won it, but he had a big input to the game in the Six Nations when we beat them. Absolutely. Like that. So, you know, I tell I think sometimes the pressure's on and it's quite hard. When he's just outside that, you can actually see him working and you can see his brain working as such, and he really works well with Johnny when, when they're doing that. Steve, you're, you're the only one of us on this um, podcast who's actually been there and done it. What are the players doing? What are they feeling like at this stage? Are they, are they obviously thinking, well, I can't do too much work, but I can't just lie on my bed all day? What, what's the feeling? Um, with this, this week, week now, you know, you just want the game to happen. You know, all week you're there, you're thinking about it, you know what's, what's, what's coming, really. And, you know, everyone wrote them off, whereas all of a sudden people are starting to talk them up. So a little bit of pressure's coming on. But, like I said, they're just excited. The team's been named... The players that are involved, obviously, are really excited. The players that aren't, obviously, try and help, but they've also, you know, they, they sort of stay out of the way as well. So now, you know, they'll just be going over their heads. You know, it's about the first 10 minutes when it comes to the semi-finals, really. It's just, you want to get out there, you want to have a great start and get the momentum going your way. And before I let you go and get your predictions, I want to get your thoughts on um, Mark Regan, because he's come in for a lot of personal stick and he seems to love it. What's he like? He sounds like he's a real prankster and, and a real character in the team and thrives on abuse. Um, yeah, he's one of he's one of the best tourists you can go on because you know, I think most people end up laughing at him, but he actually likes them. <laughs> um, and everyone says he doesn't seem the, the, the cleverest, all, and that's coming from me. And uh, but he does. He's one of these people. He doesn't mind embarrassing himself as long as everyone laughs. And you know, if they're laughing at him, he don't care as long as they're laughing. So who's going to win the two semi-finals, Steve? Uh, I'm going to go for England because I think France aren't going to be able to pick it up two weeks in a row after such a big performance against New Zealand. It's all about, can they pick it back up again mm-hmm. for Saturday? And I don't, think, I don't think they can. OK, and the other one? Uh, South Africa. I think they'll just, just be able to match them. And as long as they don't try and play Argentina's game, 
South Africa could win that. Well, if it, if it was a South Africa England final, it'll be a, it'll be amazing the psychology of what goes on after what happened in the first meeting. Steve, many thanks as always for uh, for joining uh, us. Very interesting to hear your thoughts, mate. And yeah, thank uh, you very much. enjoy the matches. Guardian Unlimited, the Rugby World Cup show, sponsored by Magnus. Uh, okay, it's um, can you remember what you said time? And today's contestant is Rob Kitson, who's the rugby correspondent of the Guardian newspaper. Here we go. This is what you said on the very first podcast. Who are your surprise quarterfinalists? I think I said Italy, but that was before I uh, knew that uh, Bortolami wasn't going to play against Scotland. There's always a codicil, isn't there? There's always a little add-on. Yeah, it was Italy, and they didn't make it. Uh, leading try scorer, who did you say? Did I say Brian Abana? No. No, I said the um, I said uh, to Avu, didn't I? Sivavatu, yeah, of New Zealand. And who is it? Do you know? Um, I think it is. Um, no, it's not. It's Clerk, isn't it's it? It's Mitchell. Oh, Mitchell. At the moment, seven. Uh, yeah. Leading point scorer. Oh, I got that right. I think. Yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> you remember the right ones. Percy <laughs> Montgomery of South Africa. Which teams will we see in the semis? Oh, um, well, uh, I, d- I didn't have England. I think it's fair to say. Correct. But I did have uh, New Zealand. You did. Uh, I did have Australia, presumably. You did. Um, I did have France and South Africa. You did. So you got two out of four. Uh, who will make the final? Uh, well, I did say South Africa, as I've said before. I don't, I don't want to be... Uh... You, said, you said probably New Zealand or France, but I have a sneaky feeling about South Africa. So yeah. you're really hedging there. Well, I, I, was, I was a little bit def- more definitive in, in print, shall I, uh, can I say, uh, right, in my defence. And who will win? Uh, I went for South Africa. Uh, you said New Zealand or South Africa. I'll tell you nearer the time. <laughs> <laughs> so those were the predictions of Rob Kitson, and um, pretty good, to be honest with you, compared to many of the uh, correspondents. Right, enjoy the games. I know you've got to shoot off and uh, write some copy, and we'll um, see you or speak to you, hopefully, when we're all in Paris. Okay. Look forward to seeing you. I'll buy you a drink. OK, well, hey, I'm definitely coming. I'll see you there. So we say goodbye to uh, Rob Kitson. This is Ian Payne. My studio guests at the moment are Ian Pryor, who's the deputy sports editor of The Guardian, Andy Bull, who's a rugby writer for Guardian Unlimited. And as one goes, another arrives. Say goodbye to Rob Kitson and say hello and bonjour to the uh, French rugby correspondent for the official French broadcasters of the Rugby World Cup, RMC, to Laurent Dupré. Laurent, how are you feeling? And are you feeling confident about the semi-final on Saturday? Well, bonjour and first congratulations for your accent. Bonjour was perfect. Thank you very uh, much. <laughs> I, I would say that if I feel confident or not, it's not very important for the French team. But of course, what you want is the, the atmosphere that you can uh, imagine in the French team. Well, I would say that they are confident, but not by excess. There is no arrogancy. They are very, very respectful for the English team because they do know and they say that it should not be the English team that they've been playing for the three last time this season. They just consider the Rugby World Cup and the games, you know, the lifting up of the power of that English team and uh, very, very much of question marks in, in the head of the coaches. Uh, but of course, they are very fulfilled with confidence after that fantastic win against against the All Blacks, yes. The the English team have been named as an unchanged team, unsurprisingly. There don't seem to be any injuries, but there are one or two doubts about several French players. Do you think it will be an unchanged team or who's who's in danger of missing out? Um, The French team was announced and it was an unchanged team, just like the English team. Uh, The only one who 
could remain doubtful was, uh, I say was because now it's okay, was Serge Betsen. But Serge Betsen had a couple of uh, medical exams in an independent uh, hospital. And I insist, independent because the coaches did not want to take any risk with the health of uh, Serge Betsen. And he was declared fit, 100% fit, no worries with his brain. It's okay with him. He will be fit to play, and he is very happy with that because he remembers that five years ago he had a fantastic performance against uh, England, especially uh, chasing uh, Mr. Wilkinson. Uh, and 2003 uh, was not as good as it was one year before for him, and he thinks this is, you know, the third set in a, in a two-sets two uh, winner match. <laughs> Laurent, uh, do you think France will be thinking a lot about 2003 this week? You know, the... That semi-final must go down as one of the kind of the lowest points in French recent history, where where they just had no game plan for a for a rainy night. Do you think that'll be on their minds a little bit? Yes, it will be definitely. It will be because, uh, for example, the build-up to the to the quarter-final against the All Blacks, 99 and the semi in Twickenham was all the spirit of the players, the key players were on the uh, on the team match: uh, Dominici, Pelouse, Ibanez, uh, or De Villiers. And there, 2003 got many more players who were sinking uh, in the rain of Sydney, and of course they are very happy with the weather forecast. They've been that watching that closely this week. Yes, that's it. It will not be wet. It will not be raining. It will be okay for them. And of course, they are talking about 2003, definitely, and they want to take their revenge. Jérôme Thionfer says that it's something that is in his brain since now four years. Do you think that's maybe why Michelac won't start at fly half? He's, he's, he's stayed with Bozis, even though Michelac pretty much changed the game against the All Blacks when he came on. Do you, do you think it's just the, the memory of Michelac's performance in 2003 is still a bit, uh, maybe a bit raw with Laporte? Um, no, I'm not sure because uh, talking about the performance and the career of Frédéric Michalak, things have been changing a lot since four years, and especially for a key position as a, out, uh, as fly half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lionel Boxis uh, did well, but was not exceptional against the All Blacks. But he did not deserve to be picked out of the team, especially when you consider that they've been uh, taking the same 22, so they could not pick him out. It would have been a, a, an injustice, as, as we said. I guess it's tough to change the team that's won that yeah. game, isn't it? Yeah, very interesting. Who do you think will win finally, Laurent? Um, I would say it would be balanced. I can remember Sean Fitzpatrick in Cardiff before the two semi finals, and his forecasts were fantastic. He told me that it wouldn't be quarter final France Australia and France New Zealand with more than 40 points added for both teams, so he was right. Mm-hmm. And he told me that it would be a matter of one drop goal uh, slotted or, or missed, so it will be two or three point gap. So, uh, uh, yes, I would pick Mr. Uh, uh, Fitzpatrick uh, forecast and uh, copy and sit for that semi. I really don't know who will win. Of course, I'm French, so I will tell you. Of course, France, France <laughs> will reach the final. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, many thanks for joining us and um, enjoy the game, no matter who wins. Bonne chance and au revoir. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Laurent. And uh, thank you very much to, uh, to all our guests, to Ian Pryor and to Andy Bull. It's going to be a fantastic weekend, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to get out yeah, there. Can't. I just thought I'd add that in. Oh, are you going, are you? Yeah. Oh, thanks very much for letting us know at this late stage. Uh, to Ian Pryor, to Andy Bull, to Rob Kitson, Victor Abogo, to Steve Thompson, to Laurent Dupre, uh, to an, all of you who've been listening, and do carry on with your uh, blogs if you want to get in touch with us and let us know, blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. We will speak to you after this momentous weekend with our next podcast, and we will be live from Paris to soak up all the atmosphere.
Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you after the weekend. You've been listening to the Rugby World Cup show. Sponsored by Magnus. Time to play. Go to magnuscider.com.